Don't worry, listeners. No need to adjust your dial. This is Landline Radio. Welcome to the end of the dial at the end of the world. I'm the host, and we bring you stories too chilling and strange to be true. Right from the heart of towns where the lines between this world and the next connect. Stories from people just like you. For those long, dark, lonely nights driving down roads that never seem to end. We'll be here. And don't worry if you can't find us. We'll find you. Leyline Radio is from Dreamer Productions and can be found monthly exclusively starting in October on their Patreon feed. Follow the link in the show notes below to hear and enjoy. Actors to places. Thank you, places. It's time to exit stage death. As always, I am one of your co-hosts, Emily Martinez. And I'm your other co-host, Maddie Limerick. And these are the chilling, true crime stories behind your favorite Broadway shows. Or, should I say, would-be Broadway would shows Would-be Broadway today. shows. ba 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 Maddie, Maddie, Maddie. Today we are not going to talk about gore, or guts, or even ghosts. Uh, today we're just going to talk about sheer... <gasps> Gullibility. Oh, look at me with the, what's that word? That's a big <laughs> word. That's a big old word. Says I got my uh, word associations. What's that thing where it's like everything starts with the same letter? An alliteration? Yes, it's my alliteration. We love it. We love to see it. We love an alliteration. So today, today I, I, I think, Maddie, as often as possible, um, I think we should take this to, um, to, to the pettiest places it can go, oh, because um, I love being petty. It's one of my favorite things. It's I just isn't love it pettiness. just? I love it. As as um, one of my favorite YouTubers, Swoop, uh, says on on YouTube, we're gonna take it to petty university sometimes because mm. uh, whew, mm, mm. it's just like so many times I'm like, you couldn't just use Google. You couldn't just use Google. <laughs> Information Google is existed. so easy to be found these days, and you all love if, to be educated on the wrong things. So just use your if, fucking uh, Google. <laughs> just use Google. Just use it. If anything, Maddie, I I believe it is still the information age that we live in where yeah. so much mm-hmm. is available to all of us. At your fingertips. There's a computer in your pocket at all times. Did you know that? Like, did you yeah. know? And even though, like, some of this happened uh, in the beginnings of like not i wouldn't say the earliest of aughts but like 2012 on 2011 iphones existed oh we were fully plugged in at all times like the like everyone was on facebook and twitter at that point so like Mm -hmm. which is why i think this case today was followed so tightly was because we were at a point where theater news was dropping constantly yes absolutely this leads me to bring on our tale the most dramatic and unnecessary and just sheer like jaw dropping out of its nonsense happenings of the musical Rebecca or shall I say Rebecca last night she dreamt of Manderley again and we're all still dreaming about it because they ain't never come to Broadway girl what happened what is the story spoil- of Rebecca spoil- <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> It's been 10 years. Everybody knows this shit ain't coming to Broadway. Girl, what's happened? What, ha- what happened with Rebecca? What done happened with Rebecca? I just feel like anytime I say Rebecca, I'm I'm going to need you to be my backup singer Becca, and go, Rebecca. 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 ASMR. Rebecca. Rebecca. Okay. So, Rebecca. Rebecca. <laughs> yes. Is, it was a novel... By Daphne du Maurier, uh, written in 1938. The story, uh, you know, a very broad um, definition of the story is it basically tells the haunting tale, haunting tale of Manderley, uh, the Manderley estate, and its mysterious death of the first wife of the household, Rebecca. In 1940s, uh, in 1940, the first 
um, movie that Hitchcock decided to bring over as an American film was Rebecca. That was the weirdest way to say in 1940, Hitchcock did this movie. <laughs> um, starring Joan Fontaine, Laurence Olivier, and Judith. Oh, I don't, I must have accidentally erased her name. Judith something. Um, Netflix also did a movie on it, but nobody really talks about it. Um, but it came out a couple of years ago. And that original film is one of the most breathtaking and thrilling films you will watch. It is so good. I encourage everyone to go watch it. I feel like I watched it, watched it when I was really young mm-hmm. because this story, I'm like, oh, I know, I know this story. It used to be on like AMC and TCM all the time. That's probably where I watched probably. it. Probably. Probably. So in the story, a beautiful, young, and naive I, which is the name of the main character, it, which is like, what a bizarre name. Um, well, the whole... Yeah, what's it based the, off the of? The point is, we don't know her name. The whole uh, idea is she's the new Miss... Oh, what's his last name? What's... Uh, um, uh, De Winter. Oh, she's the new Mrs. De Winter. She is. Ah, so she has no identity. So, like, yeah, so, like, the maid always calls her Mrs. DeWinter. Like, it is a thing that she's the new, uh, where Rebecca gets called by her name. So, and because the the novel is told from first person, we never learn her name. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, a lot of it, just like scholars and things, refer to as Mm -hmm. I or uh, the new Mrs. DeWinter, yeah. (laughs) And uh, in the... In the German telling of the story, her name is Eek, Eek. which I love. Um, so, the whole story of I is she's trying to settle into her new life as the second wife of the rich and powerful Maxim de Winter. Only about a year or so after the mysterious drowning of his late wife, Rebecca. Rebecca. So, Rebecca. So, Mrs. Danvers, who is the housekeeper, loved Rebecca, just like, mm idolized her held her up on this pedestal of of all pedestals and truly hates (laughs) Mm -hmm. i truly hates her um thinks she's just trying to take her place rather than having her own identity and basically the whole plot revolves around making i feel like utter crap about herself Mm -hmm. and this decision she made to marry this man and uh you know taking the place of rebecca down to like putting like Mrs. Danvers like tricking her into putting her putting eye into like old clothing of Mr. Win- uh, De Winters that would like upset everybody with that like <laughs> I made you do it but I won't tell anyone mm-hmm. like very just very conniving um, behavior on behalf of Mrs. Danvers and so now correct me if I'm wrong Maddie um, so we learn in from the synopsis that I was reading we learned that the husband does kill or does help in the killing of Rebecca, mm-hmm. but Rebecca kind of brought on her mm-hmm. own demise because she was diagnosed with a terminal illness, mm-hmm. cancer, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, so she's just, was, did she like, did she go like, kill me because I don't want to, I don't want to die of this illness? Or was she, or was she like, you fool, you wreck, kill, you won't kill me, you won't do it, and then he loses his temper. No, I believe, I believe it's the first where it's one of those, it's just, she's like, don't make me suffer, I don't want people mm-hmm. to watch me decline, so I, I believe, I mean, it's been almost a decade since I've read this novel and seen the movie, but... Uh, yeah, I believe that's the situation. Someone at home will correct us if we are wrong. Uh, yes. But yeah, no. Regardless, it was, it was aiding of, in her death. Yeah, it was one of those <laughs> things that it ended up seeming sinister to everyone around, but when you learn the story, it was not sinister at all. Right, right. So, um, but still, um, a man who you decided to marry is still capable of, of killing, <laughs> is still capable of killing you. Um, but Miss Danvers hears this, and that he aided in her in her death, and that she was going to die of cancer, and she's like overwrought with uh, upset, and and through her emotional roller coaster that we as women can just not control our emotions, um, or our naivete of course, of <laughs> that course, of course. Um, she burns down the entire estate. Mm-hmm. In a very dramatic scene. Women, am I right? So, um, of course, all of this drama, all of this spectacle, 
all of this um, possibility of the story was the perfect setting and the perfect idea for a musical. Mm -hmm. So Rebecca started as Rebecca Das Musical, a 2006 great success musical in Vienna. Um, It did very, very well abroad. I didn't find really anything bad about it Mm -hmm. abroad. It did really well in Japan. It did really well in Hungary. And then it had a really long running time in Seoul, South Korea Mm -hmm. as well. And it just kind of seemed like, well, obviously we're going to bring this to the UK. Obviously we're going to bring this to the West End. Obviously this is somehow going to make its way to Broadway because this show just has all of the signs of a mega musical. Like Andrew Mm -hmm. Lloyd Webber was really interested in it. Um, It had a very, like even listening to some of the music has a very like Les Mis feel to Mm -hmm. it. It's just sweeping. It's a sweeping narrative. It's a, it's a sweeping score. Like, um, Davey, get away from me. My dog is like very curious about what we're doing. Of course. So yeah, it just had all of the, the, um, it just had so much potential. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, all right, like, well, let's figure out a way to start start its journey towards commercial, commercial, commercial success. So the musical was written, uh, the original German musical was written by Sylvester LeVay and book and book and lyrics were Michael Kunze. Yeah, Kunze. Um, and it was co-directed. It was going to be co-directed in London by... And in Broadway, Michael Blakemore and Francesca Zambella, which was pretty unheard of to have two directors, Mm -hmm. um, which is like, yeah, that is kind of like, wow, that's that could be two completely different ideas of the story. But hey, that's what they decided to do. Mm -hmm. And the producing team would be (laughs) the infamous Ben Sprecher, who had also uh, done The Odd Couple, which was his longest running show starring Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. Ironically enough, the two that also did the producers mm-hmm. together, which in my mind is very ironic to the story. Absolutely. We will learn why. Mm-hmm. And Louise Florenza. Um, it was said that, quote unquote, the show was built to run and run and run, bringing superior profits to investors. The show needed $14 million, uh, about four times, you know, not a not a an amount to scoff at, I, but I, I bet it's more now. But I mean, in. So I mean, like we talked about with Carrie, mm-hmm. in twenty two thousand three, Wicked cost fourteen million. So like, mm-hmm. you know, Phantom, you know, Phantom and Carrie both cost eight in two, you know, which was like twenty thousand now, but you know, so fourteen isn't anything to like scoff at at all. No. But. Just because, you know, just from the story, at some point, the biggest chunk of the show either has to happen in the little, like, fisherman's hut, and then with all the... It's like the whole thing is a big sprawling house. Like, yeah. And then that sprawling house has to burn down at the end of the show. Like, mm-hmm. all these things have to happen. It's also a time of decadence, and it takes place in Europe. So, like, mm-hmm. it is just pure old money decadence. So, like, that just yeah. comes with... Uh, that just comes with a cost. So, and for this producing team, this was probably four times, about four times more than they've ever had to raise for a project. So I think just the whole idea of it was like, oh my gosh, this is a huge project, but we want to take it on because we know it's going to be a commercial success. Um, And they didn't flinch. They didn't flinch at the opportunity. They took it up and they were like, let's do it. But according to various voices overheard on the podcast Burnt, which if you want to hear really, really in-depth a storytelling from multiple different people's perspective who were involved in the process. It's a great podcast. Um, the first three episodes really focus on what we're going to be talking about today, but um, it's a great podcast. Um, and the but the creative team they just always felt off. They always felt like something wasn't quite right. The hairs on the back of their neck were like sticking up. They're like something's not right with this, but we want to create this show. And we're being told that things are working, so we're going to go along with it because we need jobs, right? So, in 2008, it was announced that the show was set to move to Broadway for 2010. This was before it had done anything in London, but the set, the site was set that, <laughs> at least originally, in 2010 was going to be its Broadway opening. So, there were two successful readings done in London with hopes to get a theater on the West End as kind of like an audition to get the theater and then the idea was to bring it to Toronto to kind of do its pre-Broadway run and then down to Broadway. Yeah. 
And their big get, uh, casting-wise, at least at this time in the process, was Sierra Bogus. Um, she was going to play I. And she had just finished her run as in Learn Little Mermaid, which I saw her in. I thought she was fabulous. Mm, everybody says I look like her, <laughs> so I'll take it. Um, and Love Never Dies. She was in London doing <laughs> Love Never Dies, which is another hot mess express. <laughs> that fucking show. I yeah. mean, it does need to be pointed out that she is Andrew Lloyd Webber's modern muse. Mm-hmm. Like, if she was young enough, she would have starred as Cinderella in that terrible west end cinderella that just opened and closed uh, oh god bless that cast that had to put up oh i mean carrie hope fletcher is an icon in the legend we love her but yeah no i mean so we this is her. just it's not shocking that she was drawn to this style of show she had done les mis mm-hmm. she had done phantom at this point she had done love never dies and she and ramin had done the phantom anniversary which was incredible incredible the the royal Albert hall production of phantom was amazing. And to be fair, like she would have been a a great get, and yeah. this, that would have been great casting. Yeah. Um, so in London, uh, Sprecher is part of the producing team, and the English language version of the book was written and uh, translated from the German. the The English language version of the book was written by Christopher Hampton in collaboration with the original writer of uh, Kunze, and um. The show seemed just kind of cursed. It seemed kind of cursed to begin with. Uh, fun, a little bit of funding was falling through, probably a lot of funding. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, they had to, so since the big staircase that if you look at any pictures or any videos of it, like Maddie, you were saying, so much revolves around this house and this staircase, to build the staircase properly, it had to be like um, dug into the foundation of the theater like they really had to kind of like rebuild or get an idea of like rebuilding the theaters to really make this Mm -hmm. thing come up out of the ground and it was just a lot it was a lot that they had to do so they were like worried about the foundations of the theater so a lot of theaters were like we don't want it and then there was a gigantic flood that happened that damaged Mm -hmm. a lot of it and so like then the idea of it going to the west end just kind of disappeared and they're like "Uh, scratch the west end we'll just go to broadway Who says that? Who just says, oh, we'll just go to Broadway? I mean, it's when you take, there's a reason why things typically now go Broadway to West End versus 10 years ago, 20 years ago when it was West End Broadway, because it is no longer cheaper because, Mm. you know, it's, this was after a time where you, you wouldn't produce it on the West End and then just ship it over. So they would have had to swallow the cost of the West End run to get it ready and then mm. still pay that cost. Because you could build it in the scene shops in New York and take it up to Canada and come back with it for yeah. Broadway. But like that's still even like it's it's like Aladdin and Frozen look really different on Broadway than they do or than they do on the West End. Because oh, okay. they learned things and then they like streamlined. You know, that's Disney and they love to streamline things. But like even yeah. like Hamilton is the exact reproduction, but like it is way different than the public when it moved to Broadway. So, you know, it's just those things of it's like it's not as cost effective now to run something. It, it's also like even look at six for as small and as compact as six is as a cast and set. Why did it take five years to get it here? Like or even yeah. then it would have been three and a half years after its initial open to get it on Broadway. So, you know, it's just, it's after like 2000, the, the economic crisis of 2007, 2008, which this mm-hmm. is just after yep. and Broadway was just trying to bounce back from, um, it would not have been as cost effective for them unless they were going to continue to run in the West end while they launched their productions here. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That's, that makes so much sense. Oh, I'm so happy I have you here to, like, <laughs> give me the dramaturg of the time. It's Absolutely. amazing. So according to Bogus, um, on this podcast, she kind of had her whole retelling of the story, which is really fascinating. Um, she just said that from the beginning, it just felt so tense. Like, it felt like the weight of the world was on this show. It was not a warm environment whatsoever. And I got to say, like, as an actor, like, that is not a project that's fun to be mm-hmm. part of when you're like, oh, this – nothing feels right about this like everything feels off but as actors we're just kind of told to like grin and bear it i mean if this had happened now probably i don't think as well this has happened now this is this basically just happened i feel like a lot with the paradise Paradise square Square. but like you know and people spoke up Mm -hmm. at least they're speaking up now us to this type of behavior so i'm happy things are evolving there but 
um, during this process, Brecker would just get really, really angry about various things. Actors were literally being fired left and right um, during the beginning of the process. Sarah was like, it just felt like, and I don't think she meant this in an egotistical way whatsoever because I think literally the casting was being made around her. But mm -hmm. she was like, she was like, it just felt like I, I was the only one left. Like people just kind of kept coming in new around me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know what was going on. She was like, I was just kind of going along with the ride. But they just kept bringing in people from Germany to like be a part of it, which I thought was interesting. I guess just like maybe from the original Vienna yeah. cast. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, she felt like it was just, it just didn't feel right. And there was so much pressure to get money and backers that she was just like, I'm, I'm along for the ride, but mm -hmm. I'm terrified. <laughs> um, and then in 2016, nope, November 16th, 2011, excuse me, their first tweet was put into the abyss. And it read, and I'm going to read a couple of their tweets because Good. they crack me up, especially with what's happening. Yeah. Uh, the first tweet read, our first tweet. Come on. And remember to mark the date. We open April 22nd, 2012 at the Broadhurst Theater. End tweet. Actors are starting to announce that they're in the show. They're starting to uh, say that they're learning their lines. They're starting to get costumes fitted. Like, this is all over Twitter. Mm -hmm. They're announcing these types of things. Um, not only do we have Bogus, but we also have her then um, fiance, Tam Mutu, who is most recently known as the Duke in Moulin Rouge from the original Broadway cast. Um, Moulin Rouge literally makes it into every episode of our podcast. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> uh, they were set to play the couple, which Bogus was like, I guess they kind of, she's like, it didn't really make sense like age wise mm -hmm. of the characters, but she's like, but I think that they wanted the press of us being a couple mm -hmm. and playing these roles together. But he was living in London at the time. And so um, basically they are getting ready to do the show and they're literally packing up his entire life because Sierra had like her whole life was in New York, but she, they're packing up his entire life in London. And as they're, as they're packing boxes, as they're getting everything ready to move him across the pond, um, to do this Broadway show, she gets a call from her agent saying, stop what you're doing. Rehearsals are not happening, at least for two weeks. So just like, we're figuring it out. We're finding out the information, but it's not going to happen for a couple of weeks. And cross your fingers that it will happen. So then on January 26th, we get another tweet from Rebecca. Dear fans, our B-Way debut has been, has been postponed until next season. Thanks for your continued love and support. We'll see you next season! Exclamation point. But the producers were like, she's not dead yet. We just need to get more capital to get to that $14 million. We just need a few more weeks. But in reality, their fundraising abilities and their ideas were kind of shot and they were stuck at $6 million. So not too soon after they had made this tweet, they were like, JK, we have the money now. Like, oh, my God, we have the money. Um, we have identified the quote-unquote missing piece. So instead of opening in the spring, like we were supposed to, look out for us for the fall of 2012. And they announced that on May 22nd of 2012. So they're like, just in a couple of months, everything's going to be fine. And that... Ticket sales are going to go on pre-sale um, on May 26th. So in just a couple days, they're going to go on sale. Now, I believe when pre-sale happened, they grossed about $1 million in pre-sale. So, so that's kind of the excitement circling around the show because mm -hmm. now there's already, like, there's already drama surrounding the show. So they're like, well, I want to see this. Mm -hmm. Again, as we have spoken about in a couple of episodes – People are already probably thinking, oh, this is going to be a hot mess express. I want to mm -hmm. be there. Mm -hmm. Humans are sick. But another tweet that I really enjoyed um, from the Rebecca Musical tw Twitter account was, <laughs> and it's mainly the exchange that happens in, in the comment section, where it's like, the tweet goes, the first thing I think about when I hear that Rebecca the Musical is coming to Broadway in fall 2012 is blank. One woman goes, exciting. Love that story. And then... And that was uh, that that 
reply was in May of 2015. And then in October, the next reply, reply to that is in October of 2020. And someone's reply is, um, what do I think of the musical coming to Broadway in fall 2012 is, nope. The next one is, rest in peace. And the other one is, maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> the savagery. The savagery oh, that mean, is Twitter. I mean, that fall, people were, st- especially in New York, people were starting to get antsy in fall of 2020. I just love how one person's like, exciting, and everyone else is like, nope. Rest in peace. Also, <laughs> the fact that, like, no one was following them on Twitter or cared to fucking comment in 2012. Jane, Jane Hamlet was, and she was very excited. Um, <laughs> we should probably black out her name. I should not have said her name. Um, anyway, so this time, um, after that tweet went out, it seemed more viable that the show was actually going to happen. Because wh- how much crazier could it get, Maddie? It couldn't get much crazier. Of course, than not this, crazier right? at all. Not They're at like, all. like, okay, they finally got their funding. Get it together. So the set is starting to be loaded in. It's being built. It's being constructed. The new cast uh, was also brought in because Boggis and Moodoo were like, we're out. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm good. Um, and then uh, there's even... There was even a number done at uh, Broadway in Bryant Park. So when you start doing like public events like that, it just seems like this thing is mm-hmm. actually going to happen, at least to the unassuming theater goer like myself. That's oh, yeah. what I would assume. Oh, yeah. um, and people were buying tickets. And then all of a sudden, September 8th, 2012, we hear that someone has died. Now, I, I say that like, Without really any weight, because <laughs> you will find out soon. So um, the final investor that was set to give a very large amount of money towards this project, about $4.5 million, was all of a sudden dead, just out of the blue, from contracting malaria. Um, and Sprecher was like, uh, we've been talking to his estate for like months now, this is not great. We haven't gotten the money. Um, but like, don't worry. Like, <laughs> oh, it's such a bummer. But like, we kind of need to push things back for like two more weeks so that we can get the money. And it's like, if you've been trying to get the money for months, two weeks is not going to do anything. Also, how is stuff getting paid for? Like, also, like, isn't this something that you should have worked out? Mm-hmm. It's like, is this monopoly money? Like, what is happening? Like, <laughs> like, aren't. Transactions like that, like how do transactions like this occur? This is why I go, rich people don't actually know what they're doing with Absolutely. money. Absolutely. Like, they have no idea what they're That's doing. That's why it's with bad money. that they have money. All they know to do is hoard it. Yes, in offshore accounts. So this is just like so bizarre. And everybody's like scratching their heads. And people who are armchair detectives are like kind of starting to like mm-hmm. prick their ears up at this. And they're like, okay, shit's happening. Things are getting suspicious. Um, but the team, the producing team announced that contracts were out and that things were in motion and that during this quote-unquote two-week period that actors are going to be paid. People are going to be paid. I don't know if they were paid. I didn't get that. I'm not sure. if I didn't find out that information. So if you were part of that and you were paid, please let us know. But it doesn't seem like they were paid in my opinion. That's Probably my not. opinion. I don't think so. Um, maybe the actors were paid, but I feel like I heard on the podcast that like the musical director wasn't paid. Of you know, stuff like that. So that's where we're at, right? That's, what did I say? I said September 8th, yeah, they September announced that? Yeah, September 2012, yeah. Okay, so now we're going to just pause right there, mm-hmm. and we're going to rewind a little bit. Okay. So clearly Specker and his producing team, they were just kind of like not on it. They weren't the most hypervigilant. Um, it doesn't seem like detail-oriented. Like these are like the financial situation is kind of like the big thing that you do, I feel mm-hmm. like, as a producer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, they, it just didn't seem like they like had the ball it seemed like the ball was in the other court. Yep. So they enlisted in like a third party help. They were like, we need a consultant. We need someone that's going to help us with this, which, Hey, if you need someone to help you with that, absolutely get someone, mm-hmm. but maybe do a little Google search better than just like financier, someone to help us. <laughs> like, I don't know. Do a little like. Angie's list. Yeah. I don't know. Like, fuck. Like, let's do a little Angie's list because. Steven. Come on. Come on, girl. Go to your like local gay bar and ask around. Be like, true. Have you heard true. Get in the back of those gay mags you can get for free. Absolutely. But they enlisted in the help of a gentleman named. Well, a gentleman. That's a 
interesting word, Mark Hutton. Mark Hutton was a Long Island businessman um, who was pretty much trash um, and had filed for personal bankruptcy already in his life. But, you know, he was a businessman and, like, talked big talk and um, was going to be the go-between between the investors and the producers. Somehow, this Mark guy, um, Mark Hutton, had convinced uh, our producing team that, you know, he was he was the man for them and that he would need uh, a commission of $60,000 in fees or $60,000 in fees plus commission for the introduction and the go-between of the of the investors. And they're like, great, you know, like, I mean, what's what's 60,000? Plus commission. Plus commission with all this other money that we're trying to raise. What, what? So they take him on. And Hutton's like, oh, my God, this is great. Look, I already have these overseas investors that are so interested in your show. I am so excited for y'all. But listen, like, I have to go talk to them and work out the details. But I have to do that in person? And they're like... Um, Specker and Florenza were like, okay, that makes sense, I guess. Um, so why don't you go talk to them? And he's like, great. Okay, so to do that, um, to, to talk to this one particular guy, I'm going to need $18,000 to um, go on a safari with him just to like – and my son, by the way, I want to bring my son along. Um, and we're going to take a safari – and while we're on the safari, we'll, like, talk logistics about Rebecca because, of course. Um, and, um, and then I'll come back and I'll, like, tell you what we talked about. <laughs> like, uh, uh, okay. Okay, sure, dude. Sure, he does that. Or he says he does that. And it's months until they hear from um, Hutton. And Sprecker's getting, like, real nervous because he's like, ooh, I just gave this guy $18,000 to mm-hmm. take a safari with an investor who I haven't even spoken to yet. Mm-hmm. I've only emailed back and forth with these investors. I've never spoken on the phone with also, them. Also, how has he not Googled them to see if they're real or, like, do a background check or something? You know, blind fate. Oh, blind gross. fate. And so he's like, uh, and you know what's odd? Like, I've only spoken to these guys through email, but, like, there is even one email where I was talking to one guy and he said he was a different guy and then got my name wrong. And then we all laughed about it because it was just like, well, <laughs> there's so many emails going back and forth. I mean, it would be useful if we all got on one conference call, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I, that's too much. That's too oh, much. Oh, clearly too much. Uh, Hutton comes back and they're trying to d- talk about like what the safari led to. And, and Hutton goes, oh, w- um. We don't have the money. And he's like, well, why? And he goes, well, the, the guy I went on the safari with, his name was Paul Abrams. Yeah, he, 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 he died of malaria. And they're like, what? What? <laughs> what? So their investor that was supposed to hold something like a couple mil, um, maybe like $4 million worth of like the investment that they needed uh, had died from malaria, according to Hutton. And um, now they needed to announce that to the public. Hey, Nerf Herders. You sure you want to go with that? Hey, everyone? There we go. More inviting. Have you ever had a movie that you really wanted to love, but something holds you back? Or one that you did love in spite of a flaw? Well, I'm Casey. And I'm Sam Alisea. And on another pass, we sit down with cool guests to look at movies that we find fascinating. But flawed. And we try to imagine what could have been done when they were made to give them that little push. We're not experts. We just believe in criticism. Uh, constructive criticism. Sure. So come take another pass at some movies with us. And every now and then, we can celebrate movies that did it on their own, too. You can find us at CertainPOV.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Pass it on. So who do they bring on? Another Mark, who is Mark Thibodeau, who was a, and is, um, I don't, I think he's, he still might be, a very um, well-renowned uh, press agent, a.k.a. a publicist of, a, of Broadway shows. And um, they were like, hey, Mark, 
Hey, Mark Thibodeau, um, we're going to need you to do this press release about Rebecca and how it needs to be uh, postponed again, um, hopefully not indefinitely, but we're going to need you to do that because um, our producer or one of our investors died. This investor named um, Paul Abrams. And Thibodeau's just like, the fuck? That, what? Mm -hmm. And so, so since he was asked to do this press release and everything else that was kind of like bubbling up under the surface, his spidey senses, his murderino senses are tingling. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, something's not right here. And he starts doing what I fucking love. He starts doing his online sleuthing. This bitch just starts doing a goog. Like he is just Googling the shit out of everything and finding out as much information as he can. And what he finds out is like, oh, this other Mark, this Mark Hutton, who they hired, is not a good guy. And he's, he's just kind of putting pieces together. Like, he's doing the red lines. He's doing like the, he's, he's, he's mapping it out. And he's like, mmm, spidey senses are saying that this guy is no good. And he was basically this failed businessman um, that he had claimed to uh, have done, pers- that he claimed personal bankruptcy, and, and he's trying to tell all this on all these red flags, these red flags to, um, to our producing team. Mm-hmm. And the producing team, Sprecher is like, la, 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 we need him, la, 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 we need him. I'm going to put my fingers in my ear and I hear the shit you're saying. These investors, and Thibodeau's like, what fucking investors? There's no investors. I don't think there's any investors. Mm-hmm. You're getting duped. And they're like, I, no, no, no. And if anything, they're like, uh, stop snooping. Enough. Get over it. And Tibbs was like, I'm not over it. In fact, I'm going to just hold on to this information for a little while longer. And he wasn't the only one weirded out by all this. Um, An unknown source, so I don't know where the source came from, but tea was spilt to the New York Times. And uh, their columnist, Patrick Healy, comes in um, unfortunately, I couldn't read the freaking article because of the damn paywall, but... Fuck your paywall, New York Times. Come on, New York Times. Um, but basically, it got out to the press how strange everything is about this production. Uh, the article... Wait, what, let me find the name of the article because it's so shady. Um, the New York Times article was called Rebecca Sees Investor Fade As If Dreamt. <laughs> so shady. I love it. Basically saying, basically meaning that like everything about this production is a dream, nothing is real, and it's never coming to Broadway. I love that. And so, um, Healy's Patrick Healy's investigation uh, brought to light that Paul Abrams was not even real. That mm. Uh, mm. this that there was no death certificate of Paul Abrams. There was no obituary of Paul Abrams. And any time that they were talking about, like, locations of, of like, where people were meeting said people, they put it into Google Maps, and those locations would, like, lead back to, like, a park bench, not an actual location. <laughs> like, it was just, like, everything was a fucking lie. Mm-hmm. And, again, producers, fingers in their ear, not fucking listening. I think starting to feel the fire a little bit, mm-hmm. but like trying to hope for the best. And T- Thibodeau's just like, I can't hold on to this information anymore. Mm-hmm. I have to tell someone. And if the producing team is not going to listen to me, um, especially with all these people's jobs at stake and this fraud happening, I'm going to tell the FBI. So... He decides to put in a tip with the FBI. And personally, I think, I feel like the FBI probably gets so many tips that, like, I'm sure this guy, Mark Hutton, had already had tips put in against him. Mm-hmm. Um, because it seems like, mm-hmm. doesn't seem like that would be some, someone they'd go after so quickly because all of this happens very quickly. Um, but, and again, all my, all my idea, allegedly, 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 um, but a couple in a couple of weeks' time, the FBI would be knocking on Sprecher's door mm-hmm. to ask him some questions about Mark Hutton. So meanwhile, so all of this is happening under the surface. Meanwhile, the actors are tweeting. <laughs> they're they're thinking that their jobs are fine. 
Um, costumes are being constructed. Sets are in place. The marquee is up mm-hmm. on September mm-hmm. 26th. The marquee is up. The public sees it. And rehearsals are meant to start October 1st. We know this because a private email was link, was leaked and Playbill released it uh, basically between the production stage manager and the company saying, what a relief, you know, we're going to start rehearsals after all this craziness, like we're going to start rehearsals October 1st, so get yourself ready. And everybody's really excited. So meanwhile, meanwhile, in another <laughs> dimension of our story, we have a real-life investor of the show. Uh, he was considered the angel investor, uh, Larry Runsdorf, who was a heavyweight in the pharmaceutical industry, had truly no business being part of the, the- theater world. I think that this guy was just like, I did a play once. He was what I call the forever theater kid of always just like wanting to have a hand in mm-hmm. theater in some way. And he was brought on board for Rebecca for uh, a little while, before all of this wildness is happening because he had heard about the mishaps with the show and he wanted to lend a helping hand because the man had a lot of money. And even though he had never invested in theater before, he wanted to be a part of this, which is just like rich people do not know what to do with their money. Um, But the only thing he said is like, all I ask is that you keep me anonymous. I will be your angel investor. I will kind of like be the linchpin that makes sure that your show happens, but like don't want my name out there. And then after this, the press is notified that the show is finally going to have the money to make it happen. So during this time, the FBI is now involved. They've been tipped off. And shit is starting to hit the fan. And Runsdorf starts getting these weird emails. Emails from a quote-unquote Bethany Walsh, a quote-unquote Sarah uh, Finkelstein, warning him in various ways to not be an investor in the show anymore. Um, Basically like, hey... These are the rumblings. These are the articles that are coming out about Rebecca. The New York Times article. There was a New York Post article. Like, basically saying, like, don't get involved. Don't be involved with this show anymore because the producers are involved with this guy, Mark Hutton. Mark Hutton is bad news. And there's, like, ghost investors, which is what they kept calling them. They kept calling them phantoms and ghost investors. Basically, investors that just did not ever exist. Um, And these emails are going... Uh, basically through the lawyer of this guy, um, Larry Runsdorf. And the lawyers are going back and forth being like, what the fuck is happening? Like, this this is too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, after enough emails were sent, Runsdorf was like, I'm out. This is too much. I'm out. I don't want to be a part of it anymore. And that was the final nail in the coffin, <laughs> so we thought, um, of Rebecca. So on September 30th, the night before rehearsals are about to start, actually start, the October 1st rehearsals that were in that email, we find out that Rebecca is dead. <laughs> Again, Rebecca is dead. Um, I believe the, the cast and creative team, like the director and musical director and stuff, believe they all met for rehearsal uh, to kind of be like to talk about it and be like, what the fuck is going on? This is the information we have. And probably just to mourn the idea of another job lost and the frustrations they were probably all feeling at the time. Because at that point, they also probably, the union then would have a a hand in it because then that's also going to cover multiple unions. They're going to start having issues because if costumes and set were already being designed and built, that falls on the scenic union. There's the lighting union. You've got IATSE. I mean, that's all the local one boys. And so, you know, with Actors' Equity there as well, like it's going to start getting messier because you know people still are people still need to be compensated absolutely and so Thibodeau um our press agent uh also decides that he's out he's like this is too much for me I don't want to be a part of it anymore and Sprecher asks him just to do one more thing to write the final press release that you know kills the show off that the press know um that it's not going to happen And in this press relief, he not only says that the show's not happening anymore or indefinitely, um, but that they also lost their angel investor due to emails from different people warning him to get out of the investment, which is like, why would you put all that information in there? But they did. So we'll have a little bit more on that later. So on October 15th, about two weeks after this initial blow, we find out that the FBI shows up at Mark Hutton's location 
where his wife, his sister, and one other person who had run away from the cops were arrested for defrauding many, many people in their life. Not only rich people and producers, but also neighbors, normal people, just destroying, just destroying lives. Lives in his wake. Uh, he kind of, it was kind of like a no, like, no problem of him uh, pleading guilty to all of this. They, they took plea deals. There was going to be about a three-year prison sentence because not only um, did he swindle Rebecca out of $65,000, but he defrauded, um, he also defrauded um, a Connecticut real estate company and had other money laundering cases against him. All around, class act of a human oh, being. Oh, what a class act. What Just like chef's, at, chef's, chef's kiss, wonderful human being. And, and when it comes down to it, like Sprecher and Florenza, our producing team, like they just did not do their due diligence. Mm-hmm. Like that is your job as a producer is to protect your people and you mm-hmm. did not protect your investment. You did not protect it. And they decide to, so Sprecher and Florenza decide to sue Hutton for $100 million um, for all of the lies and the shit, which is like, you we we all know that he can't pay a hundred million dollars. Like I don't really understand. Is that like a bluff? Like I don't really understand the point of suing for that much money when you know you can't. You know you're not gonna get it back. But I think it was probably just them being like very proud and being like we're gonna sue for this amount of money. Well, because it then looks like for that amount of money that they're gonna try to right every single person wronged by that. Yeah. Yeah. Even though you know the payouts would be so long, so drawn out that you know it's also because they probably knew he would settle for like half of that or mm. a quarter of that. They would take the settlement for it. So it's like ultimately it's because they had a number they wanted and then they like tripled it. So they would guaranteed they would get what they actually wanted out of. Right, right. That's true. But this is also years of their time wasted, plus any reputation they would have for producing further. Like, uh, for them literally not doing their job aside, like, this, the chances of them being able to, like, publicly produce or make theater again would be non-existent now. Yeah, like, truly, like, how do you think, how do you, how do you think you're ever going to come back from this? Yeah. Like, I just don't, I don't see how they, how that's going to happen. Um, so then on July 2nd, 2013, just when we thought it was all over and that people could get on with their freaking lives, there was a new expected opening of Rebecca. In July? January. Oh, January. January 2nd. I'm sorry if I said July. No, you're good. Um, there's just so many freaking dates. <laughs> like, So they were like, we're going to open in 2013 at some point because, as Sprecher said, the show is more valuable today than it was six months ago. That's which true. Which is just like, it's true, but it's like, this isn't a beanie baby. Like, this, like, this, these are people's fucking lives here. And, and <laughs> like, this is not the Diana beanie baby. Like, I, I, I still kick myself that I didn't sell those fucking beanie babies when I could. Like, it was just, uh, these so many people's jobs at stake. Mm-hmm. And just like, also like mental health. Like, I can't even imagine, like, the toll it would I know that that would fucking wreck me I'd be like do I stay do I go like Mm -hmm. do I stick with this like I don't I would like to think that I'd have the strength to say I'm out but like I don't know so that was on January 2nd on January 29th remember our little press agent Mark Thibodeau Mm -hmm. who wrote the press releases of the emails well we find out something else about the emails Remember the emails by Bethany Walsh and Sarah Finkelstein? Did they come from him? Please tell me they came from him. Please tell me. They came from this fucking online sleuth. I mean. This bitch. If no (laughs) one's going to listen to him and the FBI is dragging their ass, I would have had about 15 different catfish personalities leaking everything to Mm -hmm. everyone that would listen. Allegedly, Allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly. Like, could you imagine if... TikTok had been around when this oh, happened. Dragged like, for filth. Dragged for filth. Everything would have been online immediately. Like fucking. Oh, this wouldn't have even gone this far no. if TikTok had mm-hmm. existed. Um, so he's named the whistleblower. Um, the whistle the whistleblower that literally killed the show, um, and he was being sued for a breach of his contract and of damages for millions of dollars, which I think is insane. Yeah. Um, but I, I think he was 
trying to do his best to like help other people's jobs like Mm -hmm. and i think he was like this is wrong fuck off but like also cover your footprint cover your cyber footprint we knew this in 2012 like it's nothing new like cover yourself my dude (laughs) oh for him to cover himself he should have covered himself yeah but i mean when you do have the fbi involved there's no hiding most of this unless you're like a mr robot level hacker and nobody involved in broadway is a mr bro robot hacker no probably i mean maybe that's mis-selling the people who have uh you know programming degrees that are actors i don't know (laughs) we're all we're all shapes and sizes in the world of So because the reason why that Thibodeau was basically gone after so hard is because a lot of people think that if he hadn't gotten involved, if he kept his mouth shut and like didn't warn uh, the angel investor that like maybe Runsdorf would have stayed Mm -hmm. around, maybe he would have even gotten more money and that like they would have sold enough tickets but then like my question is is like well how do we know that this wouldn't have become the next wouldn't have become paradise square like with the with the money situations that were happening this this was a pattern like this wasn't a one time oh we made a mistake like these were just consistent bad choices made in your business that put the entire thing at risk and your pride um made it so that it just got worse and worse and worse. And you kept trying to shovel it under the rug and the rug was getting too full and it was all coming out from under the rug. Yeah, if it wasn't going to be Thibodeau, it was going to be a cast member. It was going to be someone was going to leak it to the press. Mm-hmm. And like we said, if TikTok had existed, if social media was then like it is now, savagery, it would have been ripped to shreds. And also it makes me go like if, if this type of money issues had happened, like there are other shows like, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> Uh, Peter Pan 360 had sh- had shit like this happen where like mm-hmm. everything Peter Pan 360 was a tour of um of a beautiful rendition of Peter Pan which was done in like with like 360 screen so you really felt immersed in the story and um Gabe was on that tour it was a non-union tour that was brought over from the UK mm-hmm. and they basically brought it like shrunk it down so much and it became non-union, so they didn't have to follow it as much as a union show. And the amount of, like, times that people got hurt mm-hmm. because, like, things weren't put up to code, like, and just, like, the um, literally the amount of ribs cracked in that show because mm-hmm. d- checks weren't done and, like, flies weren't checked. And it's just because money wasn't there mm-hmm. or checks weren't, had, like, checks and balances. Like, who's to say that that wouldn't have happened with this? Yeah. Like, there's so much pyro, pyro work. Like, there's so much, like, um, I, just the mechanics of of the entire set. Like, how do we know actors would have been safe? How do we know crew would have been safe? Mm-hmm. How do we know that, like, I know if I was an actor, I would not have felt safe in that production whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, it was scary enough doing working with pyro on cruise ships. Yep. Like, <laughs> like, I can't even imagine working with it on a show that's already just, like, Everything is kind of like wiggling underneath uh-huh. your feet. I mean, clearly those producers had no idea what was happening, no idea what was going on to begin with, which happens. It sounds like they were rookies. And so, like, if it wasn't that, it was going to be other things along the way that were going to end up being a class action suit in some way, right. shape, or form. Exactly. So, Thibodeau was ordered to pay back $5,000, uh, the $5,000 that he apparently made when he was with the show. Um and then uh, $85,000 in damages. But then he was like, no, I countersue because that's ridiculous. It was originally like they wanted him to pay $10 million, but it was just like they just kept going to court back and forth, back and forth. But then in 2019, they settled for an undisclosed amount um, to basically just shut everybody up about it. But Sprecher's literally still at it. Um, no matter how many artist jobs he let fall apart, his ego just like would not let him stop. So as of July, 2000, July 2013, the show was then pushed back to 2014 because surprise, surprise, nobody wanted to fucking invest. Mm-hmm. But Sprecher, again, just refuses to take responsibility and accept that the show is done. And it's almost as if he didn't, want his entire team who had lives um to be on the show it's like he did it's like he just didn't want anybody to be happy 
all he cared about was this fucking show, Rebecca. It's just like, is a show really worth like all of this? Like, just move on. We all make mistakes, my guy. Just move on. And so many people had just turned down so many other opportunities to be in shows because they believed in Rebecca. And it's just like, you can't really, you can't really blame them. Mm-mm. They, they put so much of their time and, and life into the show that they thought it's got, it's got to be this time. It's got to be this time that it happens. But like, fool me once, shame on me. Fool, uh, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Anyway. Um, then in October, October 10th of 2013, Sprecher and Florenzo by, um, they had cleared the, they were cleared by the Securities and Exchange Committee. Um, basically, they weren't at fault in the government's eyes for all of this, which it's like, convenient. really? Convenient. That's convenient. Awful convenient. Yep. Um, but like, where's the accountability there? Of mm-hmm. course, uh, nowhere. <laughs> but obviously, I think, I think you and I can agree, and I'm sure of listeners can agree that public opinion of these two of this team was probably out out the door and through the window um because nobody really wanted to put money into the show anymore but then somehow in 2014 a new producing team was just like we're here it was like it's i don't even think it's like worth naming because it's just like they're like we're gonna open in 2016 but it's 2022 bitch and ain't no rebecca happening here um However, <laughs> it never ends. I feel like Rebecca is like Jumanji. Like she just moves <laughs> from like, she, she haunts wherever she goes and mm-hmm. she just moves from space to space. However, Rebecca lives on. Um, it will open again in Vienna, of course, right back where it started, um, where it gained its first success on September 22nd, 2022. With the OG director, Francesca Zambello, which I love. It's like, that's a beautiful slap in the face, in my opinion, of her being like, I am good at what I do, so I'm going to direct this again, mm-hmm. and it's going to be Absolutely. great. And um, I th- the girl who's playing Ich, um, she's, she's doing a vlog of her experience doing it, so I suggest everybody go check that out because, hey, shit hits the fan. She might vlog about it. And honestly, that is the hot mess express that is Rebecca. So, Maddie, I have some questions for you. First and foremost, do you think Rebecca is ever, ever going to come to Broadway? I could see it sometime in the next decade because we're at a weird point. Like, if no one's watching and no one is being critical of commercial theater right now, it's on a tipping point that could Mm -hmm. end very quickly. Like it could end mm. very soon because shows are not lasting long that are opening. Uh, money is tight after COVID because theater right. is and producers do not want to be ethical and they are refusing to be ethical and people need to be held responsible for that. So in a way, I think this could be the ultimate because theater people love a shit show. So it could be they the do. ultimate we thing do. where like, Rebecca, she rises and finally opens. Like, it could be an incredible marketing campaign for those that remember. But really... I mean, literally a a phoenix that rises from the fire. But, (laughs) I mean, also, most of the people that you're trying to pull in to see a Broadway show aren't the people that live in New York or make theater because they can't afford it or Mm. won't pay for it. So, I mean... You've got to tap into that black and white audience before the audience that like still appreciates black and white movies or Mm -hmm. are like writers who have studied the book because otherwise the people that would find that show appealing are dying out. Honestly, it would they would be better if the two people that ended up with the rights put it up for production at a regional level, like at a lort and professional level, uh, Mm -hmm. by like by contract only through MTI or Concord or something, even though all the rights organizations are garbage. Um, But like put that show up because you know someone would do it. Or I think what they need to do is go out into the regions, uh, go to an old globe, go to, um, yeah, go to the, Oh, what's the one in Chicago? Engman? No, Engman's on Long Island. Uh, no, is it the Engman? I don't know. Uh, go to one of the, or go to ART, go to a super yeah. reputable theater that could handle something like this, but I'm worried they'd bring in like a Diane Paulus or or an equally 
The problem is bringing this show in and finding someone non-problematic to be on that production team is going to be difficult at this mm. point because a, a lot of the big of the big players are monsters because I feel like you know, Diane Paulus doesn't need to work anymore. William Ivy Long doesn't need to work anymore. You know, it's at the point we need to hire actors that are not difficult. So, like, if they could do it and ride the wave of controversy, it yeah. could. But again, they've got to play their cards right. So it either needs to be in 10 years or it needs to be in, in the next, you know, in the next five. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Because even like the style of it yeah. is very different from where musical theater is going. Yep. Um, because it like the if if you listen to the German version, which I think would be pretty similar mm -hmm. to I think the American version would be pretty pretty similar, or at least music wise. Um, it's it is very Les Mis. It is very Tale of Two Cities. Like which also epically failed, even though I loved yeah, it. I know I love the music of it. Um, you know, it's, it's just that era of musical theater is just, will it ever come back? Maybe, but like, it's just not it anymore, mm -hmm. or at least right now. Um, and also like the sound of musical theater, it's just like, it, it's just more in your face. Mm -hmm. It's, it's less, um, not only like with the poppiness and, and, but it's just, it takes more risks and I feel like. Music-wise, it is, like, a pretty safe sound. Um, although the, the, the person playing, the woman playing Danvers, she's fucking, she's screaming her tits off. So, like, <laughs> like she's like, Rebecca! Like, I'm like, oh, let me play her. I mean, in a lot of ways, it sounds a lot like Anastasia. It sounds like an Aaron's and Flaherty. Mm, and Anastasia mm -hmm. proved that, Nostalgia for a film is not going to make up for lack of substance in a show and Anastasia mm. lacks a lot of substance because they change so much. So mm. I think you would really need to sell the show, which I think means starting at one of the smaller houses, getting a little bit of getting a little popularity drummed up or honestly take it to the fucking West end let someone overhaul it. Cause yeah. I'm worried if you brought in new score writers and stuff, like if you started from scratch, it would end up being like Diana, which was not great. So like, you know, it's, it's one of those oh, things. Diana. Oh, Diana. Oh, <laughs> Diana. Talk, talk, <laughs> if she hadn't been dead, that musical would have killed her. Uh, Oh, <laughs> hi oh, you didn't hear from me. Ba, 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 boom. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's just so, I, I think it's one of those that's going to kind of be lost to time. So it's one that like, if you want to see it, go see it in Europe. Like, I yeah. don't know if we could ever reopen Starlight Express here, but it will run forever in Germany. So like, it's yeah. just one of those things that maybe it's not for us, but it can still be consumed. Yeah. Yeah. I want to watch the German version. I would. Love I've just to. seen clips. Yeah. So that's that's my tale. My sources today. Um, oh, you know what? No, I've got another question. Yeah. Who do you think? Who Who do you think is to blame? Like, who Who do we put the blame on for so, this? Because what matters <laughs> like, is the blame. Someone you can blame. Um, I. Who's the witch? Who's the witch? Um, I think this is a situation where the blame has to be spread out among people. And mm. not everybody's equally to blame, but like those two that started everything ignored everything the whole time and then went, oh, I can't be held responsible for this, but I'm going to hold other people responsible for it. Because at the end of the day, it sounded like when they found out that like shit hit the fan was when they decided, well, let's make a little money off this if we can and started trying to sue yeah. everyone else. And, like, I don't think that was ever because it couldn't be proven. So, like, and it has been exhaustively, like, investigated by people whose jobs it is to investigate full time. That they weren't intrinsically involved in it failing. They were just stupid. And honestly, I think rich people with no background of theater, no background of informing, need to be held responsible for those kinds of things. Like, you don't get to play in our arena, burn the mm -hmm. arena down. And then mm -hmm. gaslight us that it's our fault that the arena burned down. So yeah. it's one of those things. It's very Erica Jane and yes. being like, I didn't know my husband did it. It's just like, you literally live with him. Now, I will <laughs> say the one person 
who I don't think should have been held financially liable for it was Thibodeau because honestly, like, yes, did he breach contract? Sure. Smack on the wrist. Uh, to me, that situation, he's the most hireable out of all of that because it yeah. proves that he ethically will, will watch a show. And so I would bring him on because it means. He'll keep you in check. Yeah, he's going to keep everyone in check. But that's also what happens when you bring a theater professional in because like the marketing yeah. of Broadway shows is really bad most of the time. Press for Broadway shows is really bad. So like anybody that's going to do it well efficiently and also know that side of the industry is someone who I don't feel like should have been held responsible, but I feel like every single person who went, this seems fine along the way needs to be held responsible. Exactly. I agree. I completely agree. Um, okay. So that's Mateo. Uh, my sources today, a big source that I got was from Playbill. Um, they had a step by it was literally called step by step the entire Broadway Rebecca scandal so far the shade I love it so um, and other playbill articles around the topic the podcast burnt uh, the show that set Broadway ablaze episodes one through three and the New York Times article Rebecca sees investor fade as if dreamt. I, and of course, Wikipedia, of, as always. What I will say, this all was right before we saw a pivot from theater social media presence. So mm-hmm. like really at this point, it was Broadway World and Playbill. And Broadway World was where the forums went. That's where you went for conjecture and rumors. And Playbill just tried to talk about theater. And now it's all very clickbaity and nonsensey. But like... Honestly, they really should have been commended for how they told this story because I remember it was like as new information became available, Playbill was always on the front line and they were trying not to be opinionated about it, but just presenting mm-hmm. what was happening because they yeah. of anyone understood the scope of what this meant. Because also, it this is going to stop other people from thinking that they're smart enough to get away with this kind of thing. So I think right. I think it was something that they really need to be commended on what was done at the time, and I hope they can go back to what they were doing back then. Let me guess. You're bummed because your acceptance letter from a certain school of witchcraft and wizardry was never delivered by Owl. Or you're sitting there wishing you could find more stories about wizarding schools that are a little more inclusive and open. I was just like you. Well, that was until I discovered Saved by the Spell. From Dreamer Productions, the company behind podcasts like Saturday Morning Confidential and Exit Stage Death comes Saved by the Spell. Your spellbinding gateway taking you chapter by chapter through magical academies from across this literary reality and the next. Class starts in November where you will go inside Breakbills University for magical pedagogy from Lev Grossman's The Magicians. Saved by the Spell can be found exclusively on Dreamer Productions' Patreon feed by following the link in the show notes below. So get ready, students, to be saved by the spell. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Exit Stage Death is brought to you by Dreamer Productions. This episode was audio engineered and edited by Maddie Limerick. And our theme is Antisocial Dance Party by Brett Eagleston from the Let's Rewatch podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Stage Death Podcast. On Twitter at Stage Death Pod. And send us your favorite chilling theater stories at Stage Death Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Patreon.com at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of $2 a month keeps quality content coming your way on your favorite podcatcher app. Join us for more chilling true stories on the next episode of Exit Stage Death. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.